Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to week three of our series that we're calling Naturally Supernatural. I'm really excited about this series. I'm so glad that you're joining us. And if you've missed the first couple of weeks in this series, I wanted to start off by quickly giving us the premise for the series as a whole and then what we talked about the first couple of weeks. And we're calling this series Naturally Supernatural because we wanted to tackle the idea that as Christians, we can live authentic, spirit-filled lives that are powerful and relatable to the communities that we're a part of. We don't have to flip some sort of spiritual Holy Spirit switch when we feel like God has an opportunity for us. We can just be who we are and who he's made us to be and, and relate in sort of normal ways in our communities, but carry the Spirit of God with us. And so I, I'm not minimizing the power of the Holy Spirit because we are talking about supernatural living. Um, and, and living naturally supernatural does go against the status quo of normal, explainable life. But the sad thing is, I think that a lot of Christians sort of settle for living safe, explainable, comfortable, normalized, normal lives without fully experiencing the depth that a personal relationship with Jesus has to offer. And so a couple of weeks back, um, in week one, we talked about the idea that when Jesus was on the cross and he gave up his spirit and he died, the veil was torn and that removed the barrier that we have between us and God. We no longer had to go through a priest. We have direct access. And then when Jesus was raised from the dead and he ascended to the Father, he sent the Holy Spirit who now fills us with his power. And the book of Ephesians illustrates this really beautifully when it talks about the idea that Jesus is the head of the church and the church is supposed to represent the fullness of Jesus who fills everything in every way, not just some things or partial filling, but he wants to fill the whole earth in every way. And the way that he has chosen to do that is through people, through the church, through you and through me. And then last week, uh, Brody did an amazing job about talking uh, about how we can be filled with the Holy Spirit. And today, as we pick up with week three, I'm super excited because we're going to bring in a heavy hitter today um, who's going to help me with this message. Towards the end, um, my good friend Mike Rogers, our youth pastor here at Destiny, he's going to give us some practical um, real-life application for our topic. So I'm really excited to, to allow uh, Mike to, to share with us today. But before we jump into today's topic, I want to try and get all of us on uh, the same page. I want to try and connect a few dots. And I think this backdrop will really help us see how all of this ties together. So if you've been around Destiny for any period of time, you know that as a church, we really only do four very specific things. And the reason that we've structured our church in this way is because we know that God wants to take every single person on a four-step journey. And that journey is basically the journey that God wants to save us, deliver us, redeem us, and fulfill us. A four-step process. And God saves us by allowing us to know him through a personal relationship with Jesus. He delivers us, which means he helps us to find freedom from our past. 
He then redeems us, which he shows us the original intent that he had for our lives when he created us. So we get to discover our purpose. And then we find fulfillment by using all the amazing things that God does through those first three steps to to equip us to make a difference with our lives in the world around us, to use us to advance his kingdom outside of the four walls of the church in our families and in our homes and in our neighborhoods. And so we know that this four-step process, it's first mentioned in the book of Exodus. We see it in chapter 6 when God tells Moses these four things that he's going to do in the children in the nation of Israel. But we see it all throughout the Old Testament and into the New Testament. And today, I want to kind of highlight this from a different passage of Scripture out of the New Testament in the book of Ephesians. And I'm going to read it to you and kind of explain as we go along. But in Ephesians 1, uh, 17, it says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. And so what he's basically praying here is he's, he's just saying, I wish that you could see this. And you're, and you're like, well, see what? And he said, I wish that you could see four things. These four things I wish you could see. Number one, I just wish that you could see that, that I want you to know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. And, and you might say, time out, like we have eyes here. We don't really see with their heart. And he's, but he's not talking about these eyes. He's talking about the eyes of our heart because we're not really looking through our, our physical eyes. We're looking through the filter of our heart. And we can't get God's best until our heart eyes are enlightened until they're clear, until we get the junk that clouds our heart and and muddies everything and and confuses us. And he says, "I, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. And if you don't get the eyes of your heart enlightened, you'll never know why you're on this planet so that you can experience the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, which is basically saying that you can actually do something with your life that makes an eternal kingdom difference. And so it's a beautiful passage of scripture that says we can know God better, we can have the eyes of our heart enlightened, we can know the hope to which he has called us, and we can experience the glorious uh, inheritance of his holy people. And so today... I want to focus on the second part of that four-step process, which is the topic of deliverance. And this is the second step in the journey that God wants to walk us through, but it may be a little confusing if you don't understand the difference between being saved and being delivered. What do we need to be delivered from? If we belong to God, if you step into relationship with him through his son Jesus, if we're adopted into his family and we're sons and daughters, then what else is there to really worry about? And so the way that I want to illustrate this is I want to use the analogy uh, of what it was like for the children of Israel going from bondage and captivity and slavery to living as free people. So just imagine with me for a moment a caged wild animal. Uh, or a caged animal, you know, that would typically be wild, not like a dog or a cat, but a tiger or, a, you know, some sort of typical wild animal. But let's just say that this animal was born into captivity and, and it was raised in a cage, it was fed, it was cared for. And, and one day you just decide, you know what, I don't want to care for this animal anymore. I'm going to let him go free. And so you open the door on this cage to allow this, this 
what should be a wild animal to go into the wild nature. And, and it's like a deer in headlights. It doesn't know what to do. It doesn't know what to think. It's never hunted for food. It's never cared for itself. It's never lived out of the confines of, of the, the cage that it's existed in. And so they don't really have a clue what to do. And they're afraid to step out of the cage. The cage to them sort of represents security. And so freedom is, is right in front of them. It's calling their name. And they could simply walk out but they don't know how to live as a wild animal because they've been broken by captivity. And there's nothing physically wrong with them. They might have all the physical attributes of a wild animal, but their mindset has been broken by captivity. And this is what it was like for the children of Israel. God freed them from being slaves, uh, by, from being physical slaves to the Egyptians And even though though they were no longer bound in chains, their minds were held captive by a slave mentality. And the same can be true for you and for me. We can make that decision. You know what? Jesus is the son of God. He died on the cross. It's all true. I believe it. It says, confess with your mouth, believe in your heart that Jesus is the son of God and you will be saved. We can do all of that and we can step into a real relationship with Jesus and a lot of things in our lives can change pretty quickly when we make that decision. But what happens as time passes and we realize that there are still areas of our lives where we struggle. You're like, what, what's going on? I've given my life to the Lord. I, I, I said the prayer I, and it wasn't just like words, like I really do believe it in my heart. What's going on? Why do I still have all of these different areas of struggle? And some of us, you know, when we don't really fully understand this four-step process that God has for us, it's easy to think that maybe this is just part of the Christian walk. Aren't we just sinners saved by grace anyway? And so I want to just highlight in Scripture that this is false thinking. In 1 Peter 2, verse 9, it says, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. In Isaiah 61, the prophet Isaiah was prophesying about what Jesus was going to come and do. And he says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me. The Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. And in Matthew 18, fast forward to the New Testament, Jesus actually teaches this scripture in the temple. He quotes Isaiah 61, and he says that today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And so Jesus came to set captives and set prisoners free. In John chapter 8, verse 36, it says, if the Son sets you free, then you are truly free. Galatians 5, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. And I love that passage because it's basically saying, hey, you've been set free. Don't willingly go back and put on the shackles and put on the chains. Why did Jesus pay for our freedom just to have us willingly live in unnecessary bondage? This is why all of us need to experience deliverance. 
It sounds like a scary word. You might think of kind of like an exorcism or something like that. So what is deliverance really all about? What do we need deliverance from? And I think that each one of us have different areas of our life that we need to be delivered from, and I'm calling them strongholds. These are strongholds. A stronghold is an ungodly thought pattern or belief system that holds us captive. Jesus purchased our total and complete freedom on the cross, and we can be certain about the security of our relationship with him, but God wants to use the Holy Spirit in our lives to walk us through a process of deliverance. And so as you step into a relationship with Jesus and you know God better, the first step in that journey, the Holy Spirit will reveal these ungodly thought patterns and belief systems to you. And that's why it's important to be friends with the Holy Spirit. He's a person that we can know, that we can live life with. And the more access that we give to the Holy Spirit, the more that he can convict and comfort us in these areas that we are just struggling You know, there's a song from the 90s, one of the best eras of music, and I know many of you are probably saying I'm crazy, um, but there was a very theological band out there called Sister Hazel. You might remember this song, and they sang these words, if you've had enough of all you're trying, just give up the state of mind you're in. If you want to be somebody else, If you're tired of fighting battles with yourself, if you want to be somebody else, change your mind, oh yeah, change your mind. And, you know, honestly, they probably weren't too far off, and I'm obviously having fun with it, but in Romans 12, chapter uh, chapter 12, verse 2, We learned this as a church many, many years ago. We memorized this. It says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. We have to break these strongholds of these ungodly thought patterns and let God transform the way that we think. And the key to doing this, the key, uh, this is the key to living naturally supernatural. We can't come to Jesus and expect him to change our lives if we just expect to live like the world lives. Like, no, God sent Jesus to die on the cross, to pay the penalty for our sin, to fill us with his spirit and change us into a new creation. And so we have to ditch the old way of thinking and let him transform the way that we think. Psalm 40, verse 1 and 2 says that I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me. He heard my cry. He lifted me up from the pit of despair out of the miry clay, and he set my feet on a rock. He made my footsteps firm. And to me, this is painting the picture that God didn't just sort of pick us up and dust us off to set us on the side of the road and say, all right, hang on till I come back at the end of time. No, he wants to put us on a solid path where we can march forward with purpose in our lives. And I think a perfect illustration of this is the prodigal son. You know, he went out into the world. He demanded his inheritance from his father. He went out and he squandered it. And he found himself in a pig pen feeding pigs. And he thought to himself, you know what? 
my dad's servants at home have it better than I have it right now. Maybe if I go home and beg, he might just let me live in, you know, in, the, in the outhouse. He might just accept me as a servant. And what we see is that the dad was waiting at the end of the driveway. Every day he was looking and hoping his son would come home. And the moment that he sees his son come around the corner, he runs to his son. He picks him up and, he, and the son gives him this speech about, dad, please accept me. And he said, Shh, just be quiet. He said, bring the best robe, put it on my son, put a ring on his finger, put sandals on his feet. Let's throw a party. And so it's a, it's a picture of total restoration, total redemption, total forgiveness. And I love uh, just three weeks ago, Easter Sunday, Pastor Greg's entire message was about the idea of making room for Jesus, making room in our lives. And there's a picture that's going to come on your screens. The name of this famous painting is The Light in the Darkness, and it was painted by William Holman Hunt in the 1850s. And it's a beautiful uh, image uh, or picture illustrating Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. And this passage of scripture says that here I am, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. And I love this picture because if you look very closely, um, Jesus is on the outside of this home. He's at the door, he's knocking, and he's wanting to come in. And, and many of you may have heard that scripture before. I know I've heard this scripture before. And I think um, a lot of times it can be applied towards evangelism. Like, hey, you know, if you've never given your life to the Lord, he's standing at the door of your heart, he's knocking, he wants to come in. And, and that might not be a terrible way to, to sort of interpret that scripture. But in Revelation, this is actually being written to a church of believers. And what it's saying is like, hey, you already believe, you've accepted the message, you believe the gospel, but, but the door of your heart, it's been grown over with weeds, with ivy, and Jesus wants full access. He wants to take over every area of your life. And so I love this picture because if you look very closely, you'll notice that there's no door handle on the outside. And, and people asked the original artist, um, uh, William Hunt, if this was a mistake. And he said, no, that was intentional because Jesus would never force his way in. And um, I love how Jonathan Edwards says it. He says that the seeking of the kingdom of God is the chief business of the Christian life. When we're saved, we talk about how we have found Jesus. And we even, you know, have bumper stickers that say, I, I've found it. I've found the way of life. And this might be true, but the irony in all of that is that once we've found Jesus, it's not the end of our seeking. It's just the beginning. Usually, when we find something that we're looking for, it's the end of our search. But when we come to Jesus, when we find Jesus, it's just the beginning of our search. And so I want to bring that picture back up again and, and just have you imagine with me for a second that that's your door to your life, to your heart, to, to your home. And Jesus is standing at your door and, and he's knocking. He's saying, hey, I want to come in. I want to live life with you. Imagine having a relationship with him where you just kept him on the outside of the door. Maybe you talk through the peephole or, or you say, okay, you know, that's not very nice. I should let Jesus in. I'll open the door. Jesus, you can come in, but you have to wait here in the entryway. You know, don't, don't make yourself comfortable. Or, okay, fine, you know, come on in, but in the living room, just, just hang tight there. Definitely don't look in the kitchen. Don't go in the attic. Don't 
for sure go into the basement. Please don't look at my laundry room. I think a lot of times this is what, as Christians, we do with our relationship with the Lord. We know that we're lost. We know that we're broken. We know that our, our own ways haven't been working. So we, we, we say, Jesus, we need your help. We want you to, to save us. We want to, to live for you. And we give him partial access. We open up the areas of our lives that, you know, are just obvious that, you know, it's broken, it's not working. But Jesus wants full and complete access. And, you know, I think there are two ways that we sort of respond to strongholds in our life. Some of these areas are areas that we actively hide from our spouse, from our friends, from even from the Lord. We think we can do that. Some things we actively hide, but, but sometimes there are other things that we don't even realize that they're there. So imagine you went to, you know, it's quarantine, we all have home projects going on, and, and you want to clean out your attic or clean out your basement. I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes I'll be going through old boxes and I've totally forgotten the stuff that I even have been storing. And a lot of times I think we can do that with suppressed hurt or abuse or trauma or pain or anger. And so I feel like what we need to do is say, God, come into our lives. We fling the doors wide open. We allow you to search every nook and cranny, turn things upside down, rearrange. We want to give you full access. We don't want to actively hide anything from you, but we want you to reveal to us things that we don't even know about our own hearts. Because the truth is that we all need deliverance. Every single one of us needs deliverance. And, and you say, well, how do you know that? And how, how do I know that? It's because the Bible gives us a measuring stick. And, it, and I like to kind of think of it as a, as a Holy Spirit gauge or, or thermometer. Um, we have a Holy Spirit meter in our lives, and it's found in Galatians chapter 5.22. And the measuring stick is the fruit of the Spirit. You can know how much access you've given to him by the fruit that you produce with your life. And the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And I kind of made an opposite list. They, they might not be perfect. Some of these words were hard to find the opposite word. But if, if you kind of struggle of, of gauging you know, the love and joy and peace that you have in your life, ask yourself how much hate or despair or misery or anxiety or, or how hurried or rushed am I? What about meanness or wickedness or disloyalty or harshness or a lack of self-discipline? Maybe that list characterizes your life. And so when we hold ourselves to the standard of the Bible and look at the fruit that, that the Holy Spirit wants to develop in our lives, that's how we know how much access we've given to him. And you might say, you know what? I actually, I'm familiar with that list and my life looks pretty good when I hold it up to that when it comes to my marriage. And then I'm gonna say, well, what about when you're with your parenting? What about with your neighbors? What about with your, your siblings? What about your coworkers? What about on the job? What about your inner thoughts that you don't share with anybody? Because this applies to every single area of our life. It applies to marriage, to school, parenting, friendship, our jobs, our community, and, and even our own hearts and our inner thoughts. And so to help us out today, I want to bring in Pastor Mike uh, for some personal application. 
Yeah, so I wanted to join you today and just talk about how we can experience deliverance from a practical standpoint. As you know, we've we've all had struggles throughout our lives, and you know, some of us it happens early, some of us it happens late. But I think one of the themes of being a fallen people is that we're going to struggle consistently. And in my experience, there's been only one way to get through that, and that's with the power of the Holy Spirit. And so one of the scriptural verses that Josiah alluded to earlier is from Romans 12, verse 2. And I want to focus on the back part of that verse, where it says, Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. And in my own life, until we started this journey walking with the Lord, I never experienced a good, a pleasing, a perfect life in any way, shape, or form. I had moments of happiness, moments of joy, really, but they were fleeting. And joy, as we've learned, is from the Lord. It's a gift from the Lord, but yet the world is seeking so many different things to fill that void when we don't have the Holy Spirit active and working in our lives. And so some of the things that we might fall prey to are lying, pornography, alcohol, substance abuse, pride, selfishness. And in my own life, you know, one of these things I was struggling with from the time that I was a young boy, really, until uh, full-on adulthood and into marriage, just was holding me back from truly becoming who I wanted to be and really finding out who God had called me to be. And one thing we're going to learn is the Holy Spirit is active in our life and we can call on him to help us and to deliver us from certain situations. And sometimes we can actually also work with people to do that through accountability and other means of prayer, etc. But in this case, it was just me, after I'd become a Christian, working with and through this thing that was so distracting of my time, so, so I was so focused with my energy on that that it was all-consuming. And I needed it to be gone in my life because it was holding me back from being a good father, from being a good husband, from really fulfilling what role God had for me to do in my life. And so I said, Lord, I said, I don't want this anymore. I said, please take this from me. Change my appetite and help me to do better. Help me to, in the moment, go and turn away from this temptation and turn towards you. And I can tell y'all it didn't happen overnight. It wasn't a snap of the fingers and all of a sudden I was healed from this addiction. It took time and it took effort and it was exhausting but I can tell you on the other side of that, it was worth it. And what I learned was that I have to stay committed to doing good, to what the Lord has for me to do. And going back to this verse again, I did not realize my will from God's perspective until I could you know, kind of clean my room, so to speak. I think oftentimes we compartmentalize when we're Christians and say, all right, Lord, you can have all this stuff over here in this part of my heart, but this stuff that's over here in the dark, dark corners, I don't really want to give that to you. And what I've learned and what I've experienced is that when we let his light shine across all of our life and all of our aspects and our heart and our mind and our, through our bodies, is that we can experience deliverance. And it is so freeing, I can tell you. So a couple of scriptural verses that refer to that are Luke eight seventeen, says, for there's nothing hidden that will not be disclosed and nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out into the open. And then Paul writes in Romans 7, 15, I don't really understand myself. For I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. And that's where I was stuck. I wanted to do what's right, but I didn't do it. And he goes on to say, instead, I do what I hate. And if you've ever been addicted to something, most of us will admit or understand or appreciate 
that we really hate ourselves when we're falling prey to that addiction and, and leading us and going down that path into that temptation. We don't like it oftentimes. And he goes on to say in verse 18, I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I want to do what is wrong. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. And y'all, this is because we're human. And so what happens when we allow the Lord into our hearts, into every aspect of our lives, and we accept the Holy Spirit, as Brody mentioned, on a day-to-day basis, and ask him to infiltrate our lives and our heart and our thoughts and our minds, is that we will see deliverance. We will experience deliverance from those things that are holding us back, that the enemy wants to just keep beating us down with and holding us down and making us feel guilty and lesser and not this or not that. Because the world says a lot of those things, many of those things are absolutely okay and absolutely normal. But y'all, I can tell you they're not. And so when this came to pass in our marital life with myself and Jen, uh, we got so far down into this rabbit hole of uh, serving ourselves and being selfish as opposed to what the Lord calls us to be selfless and doing what we thought we needed to do for us as opposed to what we needed to do for our spouse. It didn't, didn't go very well at all. And we had a moment where uh, we were seriously considering divorce. And at that time, we just had Hannah. But, you know, divorce, if you've ever gone through it as a child or as, a, as a, an adult, it is a catastrophic event. And thankfully, as God had it, our timeline was that we got to know him. And then we got some help with the Spradleys, Rob and Diana, two amazing people that have been a part of Destiny's history, helped counsel us and get us through. But y'all, without that and without us really committing to the covenant relationship that God had for us, meaning that it was the husband, the wife, and the Holy Spirit, we would never have survived that. And a verse that you may see or hear sometimes in a marital setting is Ecclesiastes 4.9. And it says, Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. And what we were taught is that that third strand, at least in the context of marriage, is the Holy Spirit. That could also be in the context of a relationship with a a man-to-man or a woman-to-woman. That third strand can be the Holy Spirit. And the way that was in terms of us actually living that out was we had to then surrender all the stuff that we were dealing with and working through as a couple to God. And what we were taught by Susan the Buddy Showalter is the triangle where the husband and the wife are at the bottom and God's at the top. And for me, the image that I always recall is, and the thing that I think about is, even if we have nothing left in common beyond God, that's the most important thing. And so there was a moment where we came to a really big impasse in our marriage And I'll never forget this day. And if you know us, you've heard us talk about it. But Jen woke up convicted by the Holy Spirit to confess something to me. And I was leaving that day for a business trip. And uh, it was up, she was up early. I was up early and she's not usually up early. So it was kind of odd to begin with. However, you know, she said, hey, I got to tell you something. And I said, sure, let me take the garbage out. And between the back of our townhome, the curb and back, the Holy Spirit said, she's going to tell you this thing. And so we both, in that same day, within probably an hour or less of time, heard distinctly from the Holy Spirit, each of us. And so in that moment, when she confessed what she needed to confess to me, 
I was immediately to then immediately forgive her, which is you know, something that usually does not happen in this circumstance. Uh, this thing that we experience and live through and have then used to help other couples is something that normally would wreck a marriage outside of the context of God and the Holy Spirit. And so we did that through the power of the Holy Spirit, but also through the context of being in relationship with people that were caring for us and people that were praying for us. And in James 5.16, he says that healing comes from relationships and prayer. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working and has wonderful results. And I can tell you today that we are a wonderful result of, of being uh, prayed for and uh, over and over and over again and praying for one another and working with the Holy Spirit to rectify and make our marriage better. It's not perfect by any means. I mean, I think the new struggle right now is in this area of quarantine and staying home is you know, other things have popped up. And, you know, again, Brody's prayer for us that we would pray for the Holy Spirit each day is so important so that I can be filled each morning with what God needs for me and wants me to do. And um, something that Pastor Greg has mentioned over time, I think he said it's the only thing that he remembers from college. And one of his professors said is, what you feed grows, what you starve dies. And I would go on to say that, but you cannot feed and starve the right things on your own. And what I've experienced in, in going through the personal struggles and the marital struggles is, what I've learned is also what we bury will still grow. So we truly need to, to get it out in the open and deal with it and or starve it so it can truly die. And there's four steps that we've you know, thought about for a process for deliverance. Uh, one is repent. You gotta you know, just confess that to the Lord. Uh, two is open up every area of your life to the work that the Lord needs to do in your, in your heart and in your, in your life. And so that means cleaning out and opening all the doors of, of those rooms that may be hidden at this time. Third one would be commit to authentic relationships. And this can be with someone that you've met through church, someone that you know is a believer. Uh, it could be a spouse. It could also be, as I mentioned before, the Holy Spirit. And the fourth thing is to pray and pray and pray and pray and be expectant that the Lord will heal you. I can tell you that with that first thing that I was looking to overcome, as I mentioned, it didn't happen overnight. Uh, I tripped up. I fell over again and again and again. But I was committed to the Lord and he was committed to me because he is a good, good father. So if you have issues, we would love to help you through this, to pray with you, to pray for you. And one thing that we know we need to do is have the power of the Holy Spirit to help us through these situations. So let me pray for us. Lord God, we thank you so much, Lord, for your goodness and for your grace and for the gift of Jesus and your Holy Spirit. God, I pray and I know that there are people watching today that have stuff that they have not properly dealt with, Lord, that they need to open up to you, God, to let your light shine on, to bring life and hope and healing and deliverance into their lives, God. Whether it be relational or with an addiction, a substance, or anything, God, we know that you want the best for us. God, and so I pray as we close out today that we would give you access, God, full access to everything that we have, Lord, so that you can work and truly expose your good and pleasing and perfect will to each of us in our own life. So God, as we go forth today, Lord, help us to be vulnerable. God, help us to surrender. And God, help us to do your will. 
and seek your will for each of our lives. God, we give this all to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for that, Mike. Really appreciate you. Well, folks, as we close today, I want to give you some really practical next steps, especially when it comes to this idea of deliverance. I mentioned at the beginning of the message that there are only four things that we really do as a church when it comes to knowing God, finding freedom, discovering purpose, and making a difference. And for us, the idea of finding freedom happens in the context of relationships. That is how God works in our lives. And so I have a very practical next step for you today because we are three weeks away from the launch of our summer semester. And what that does for each one of us is it gives us an opportunity to truly step into the relationships that we're all so desperate for. Um, Especially right now, Sunday mornings aren't really happening the way that we're used to them happening. We aren't physically together. We're not interacting with one another, um, you know, with face-to-face interactions. And so does that mean that we just simply sort of wait this out and all of our relationships go on hold and we just hit the pause button? And obviously that's not the case. We just can't live like that. So, you know, quarantine and isolation doesn't need to mean relational distancing. And so three weeks from today, we are going to begin the summer semester of our small groups. And right now we are in the process of trying to find people who would be willing to step up and on a weekly basis, host a simple Zoom call. And it could be around a topic, an idea, a hobby, an interest. And and if you don't have any of those, we can help resource you and find curriculum and topics. But we want people to step up and on a weekly basis offer an opportunity to just simply connect with other people in our church body. And and a lot of times that looks like an hour or so of interaction, of connection. And what this does is it gives all of us an opportunity to find our person. And so whether that's, uh, you know, your spouse or a close friend or whatever, We need relationships in our lives. And so for us as a church, small groups are the vehicle, the avenue that that lead all of us to the potential of finding a person. And we need people who can pray with us, who can encourage us, who can link arms with us, who can walk with us and help us experience the freedom that Jesus paid for with his life. We don't need to just simply be stuck in this perpetual cycle Uh, of bondage. And so I want to just encourage you, if you're watching this broadcast today, if you simply text the word LEAD to 85775, then you're going to get a link to your handset. And it's just a very simple form um, to fill out to uh, pursue the opportunity to lead a small group this summer. And it's never been easier. You don't have to go anywhere. You just have to simply hop on a computer or a smartphone and once a week for several weeks, just simply connect with other people in an online uh, virtual meeting opportunity. And I guarantee if you take this step, the Holy Spirit is going to honor that. He's going to work in your life and give you opportunities that you never even realized were right in front of you to connect and to grow and to experience freedom 
freedom that you've never been able to really grab hold of. And so um, small groups are right around the corner. Um, If you aren't quite at the point where you're willing to step up and to lead a group opportunity, hang on and wait for our groups to to come out and for um, all the directory to to be made available because I want to encourage you, even if you're not quite ready to lead or host a group, um, you definitely need to consider joining a group in just a couple, a, a few weeks. So please do that. Also, um, if you are interested in this idea of the four-step process that we talked about today, I'm going to be talking more about that in Growth Track. In just a few moments, as soon as this broadcast ends, I'm going to be hosting a live Zoom call um, for our Growth Track. And it's step one since this is the first Sunday in a new month. And it takes about an hour. I would love for you to join me because we're going to talk about the mission and the vision that God has for Destiny Church. And we want you to join us. We need you. We need your help. And so I'd love for you to hop on over and do that. And then finally, um, I just want to say thank you, uh, as always, for your faithful generosity and your giving. We do depend on you and your weekly tithes and offerings to support the ministry of our church. Just because we're not together um, doesn't mean that the ministry of our church has shut down. In fact, it's increasing. There are so much tangible needs all around us that our church is stepping up to meet and we are able to do that because of your faithful giving. So I want to encourage you um, to go to destinychurch.info and click on the give tab and to continue supporting the, the vital ministry of our church as we truly make a tangible difference in the community around us. But I just want you guys to know that I love you so much. Um, I, along with the rest of our pastors and staff, we are praying for you on a daily basis. And we uh, can't wait for the day that we are back together again in this building. But until then, um, we are praying for you and your families. We are here. We would love to, to know how you're doing. So please don't hesitate to reach out, to connect, to call, to email. And we are here for you. I love you guys. I hope you have an amazing day. And we'll see you again soon. God bless. Goodbye.